While paper currency and coins may no longer dominate the payments landscape, payments in the 21st century is a bit like the Wild West. There's not yet a centralizing or organizing factor that meets consumers where they work, live, and play, and that's left a great many banks scrambling. What can financial services institutions do both in the near term and right now to be on top of the payments game? To find out, we'll be speaking with payments expert Patricia Hewitt. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that'll help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, the managing editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning in. We are in season two of the BAI Banking Strategies podcast, and it is great to have you here with us. Our podcast posts on Mondays, and you can check us out on Apple's podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And today on the program, we are privileged to have someone who is right dead center in the world of payments, Patricia Hewitt. She's the CEO of PG Research and Advisory Services in the Savannah, Georgia area. She's worked extensively with companies and organizations across the market spectrum, from global card networks to platform developers to emerging technology entrepreneurs. She's also the creator of the PaymentGal.com website. Patricia, great to have you here on the podcast today. Well, thanks so much for inviting me to be with you. It's my pleasure. In payments, I'm really fascinated by the relationship model that we're going to see going forward. The centralizing factor seems to be missing. And in the end, it's going to come down at some point to loyalty, right? The uh, buzzword for so many in financial services. When we think about payments as the financial services hub for most people's lives, whether they're living paycheck to paycheck or whether they're fortunate enough to be wealthy, whether they're small business or corporates, payments is such centralizing activity for them. So the question is, as we shift into living in a digital world, What becomes that centralizing factor as we begin to organize these activities on our handsets? I really advise everyone to go to YouTube and search for a day in the life of a WeChat user. WeChat is an ecosystem of applications and use cases that allow people to live, work, and play inside the application. They can not only do chat, more than that, they can purchase and use tickets for their travel. They can go to the grocery store. They can act in commerce. They can pay bills. They can manage their bank accounts. So they can do a wide range of services all within the WeChat application. And I think that really gives us a glimpse into what I call a centralizing factor or centralizing service. When I was young, that centralizing service was the financial institution when we thought about payments or money, which there wasn't much of, let's be honest. There was some cash and some check writing, a savings account, but there wasn't a lot happening inside the financial institution itself, but it organized what I needed. Fast forward into the future, and as payments become more of an embedded feature in our usage, and we see payments as enabling other activities. We have to look towards how organizations are going to bring those activities together. 
We can see this beginning to play out in economies like the United States if you compare applications like Amazon, Chase, for example, or Capital One, or your local community bank. And we think about that spectrum of availability and how different that experience is for the user between doing business in a traditional banking way and doing business with an organization like Amazon. What's the first thing financial institutions need to do to get in the thick of it? The first thing they need to do is make sure that they are engaging their consumers at a digital level and that they are able to accumulate and normalize information about their account holders in such a way that they can understand how to drive relevant value back to them. So in other words, they can respond to their users and because they know them so well. They can be present to their users at their point of decision, meaning when they're ready to buy a car or they're ready to buy a home or they need additional capital for something, they can be present for that. And they can also be listening to their consumers through robust social media channels such as Facebook and Twitter and others, and also listen to them in app with notifications and the ability to interact with their financial institution via text and other channels that as consumers, they're very used to doing. I've heard you speak to the idea that multi-channel and omni-channel are really moving forward in some exciting ways. When you think about omni-channel or multi-channel experience, these are not products. This is an environment that you're building where there is usability within this environment that goes across channels, that information is used and exploited across these channels in the same way. I think that the exciting part of that is the fact that Building that ecosystem really creates tremendous value tranches. You talked about WeChat earlier as being a great example of payments, meeting people where they work, play, and live. And I'm wondering if there are some other examples that we can look at where vendors can learn something and apply it right now. I'd like to mention Chase in particular first. Chase has acquired a very impressive array of assets on the merchant side and on the consumer side in order to bring together their own version, I believe, over time will evolve of this kind of digitally enabled ecosystem. I think along with partnerships with organizations like Facebook, where you can leverage Facebook Messenger, wallet or wallet type of payments such as currency that they acquired and are using for their own wallets, the ability to offer lines of credit to consumers, the ability to better manage promotions and the user experience in e-commerce and working with merchants and a wide range of merchants. In addition to their reach in all sorts of other kinds of payments forms, I think we can look to Chase to really lead the way from a financial institution perspective and how a financial institution perspective might over time put together these kinds of assets. So what's the key to making all this work? The trick here is implementing and integrating. Integrating is the key here. WeChat has the application that they use as an integration form. 
And this is what I mean by being digitally and mobily enabled. You must have that kind of platform in order to pull it together for the consumer or business to have usability with it. But I would like to say one more thing, and that is oftentimes we forget the real power of community banks and credit unions and the fact that we think everything has to be digitally enabled in order for it to be a value or in order for you to be a centralizing service. And I, I don't think that's true. I think that community banks and credit unions can absolutely be a centralizing factor and a centralizing service to their communities, but they're going to do it on a more personalized, tactical level. And I think that's their best way to compete against these bohemoths that have the wherewithal and the capital and the R&D to create all of this digitally enabled service. I think from an analog perspective, having a relationship Community banks and credit unions know their customers just as well as larger financial institutions, but they're not going to do it on a digital basis. They have their challenges to figure out how to do it in an analog way. In other words, how to take what they know because they live in their communities about how their consumers and businesses live, work, and play, and then translate that into experiences, interactions, and services that are meaningful to their customers. Now, there's been a lot of talk, of course, on the community bank level about how much regulation really has them hamstrung, and that's an issue for the big banks, too. Now, given that and the need for payments innovation and the look forward to these new ecosystems, what can forward-thinking banks do to address that and yet deal with the hurdles? Well, I think that's a great question. And you know, the real struggle for financial institutions is the fact that they're regulated entities and they are risk-based entities. You know, at the end of the day, financial institutions are all about managing risk. For forward-thinking financial institutions, one of the solutions has to lie in machine learning and artificial intelligence and the ability to be much more predictive in the way that you assess whether an individual is who they say they are. The ability to really triangulate information, multiple sources of information, including behavioral information, in order to ascertain that. So you're doing more passive checking. You know, this idea of doing passive validation behind the scenes is gaining ground. But once again, there's no standardization around this. The way we built the modern industry is we built it on some standardization, essentially the Falcon neural network for all intents and purposes. It was the neural network that was required, right? Regulators said you had to have that. Insurance companies said you had to have that. It became the de facto standard to have these kinds of neural networks in play. But those are very limited. They're backward thinking technologies in that they can't react in real time. This is where I think machine learning is really going to change the game. But right now, machine learning is only really available to the largest organizations. It hasn't waterfalled down yet, and it's going to be some time before it does. But there are standard or standard-leaning organizations that are being pulled together. It's not as if the industry doesn't recognize the fact that they have to have some standards. But there's some tension there between competing factors and competing organizations, and who wants to be in the center of that. So in order for us to really create digital societies, cashless societies, there has to be some agreement on some of that. And I think that will happen probably in the near term because it's one of the driving factors that's holding the market back today. I'm wondering within payments if there's a common sense point where fintechs 
and banks can work together to innovate? You know, I think that the common point is where the ability and need to build scale, so the sustainability of the technology, its ability to sustain itself, that operates on both sides, meaning that financial institutions need access to this technology. Most of them are not going to build this themselves, nor does it make sense for them to do that. They can see that there's certainly a demand on the consumer side for increased efficiencies and usability in their processes like applying for a loan, for example. FinTech providers, on the other hand, they need access to customers. Most financial services customers still live inside of financial institutions. And so FinTechs need access to that. And that's the big inflection point. It's the bottom line. This is how I'm going to sustain and grow. So FinTechs are running into walls and growth, natural walls and their ability to grow and acquire customers. The right place to get that, the channel to get that, is in the financial institution. And the financial institutions need the fintech. It's a perfect inflection point. And as community banks, credit unions, and even the big banks take stock of what they know, it really helps to stay up to date with someone who's in the know. Patty, that is so much you. And I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Some terrific insights. It's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much once again for inviting me. Patricia Hewitt is the CEO of PG Research and Advisory Services in the Savannah, Georgia area and behind PaymentGal.com. You can catch up with her on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, an organizing factor that will propel the world of payments forward is just around the corner. Now is the time to search for ways to be present at the consumer's point of decision, such as when they need to buy a new car or raise capital. Number two, it's all about consumer control. Exploring the possibilities in payments means being there in one place where they work, play, and live. The Chinese application WeChat has created just such an ecosystem that people in financial services will want to look to as the wave of the future. And number three, unfortunately, there's no standardization yet in terms of regulation and managing risk in the payments world. It's a very thorny, complicated issue, but banks can do two things. They can be more predictive using AI and machine learning to make quick decisions about verifying identity, and they can also partner with fintechs to come up with a solution that benefits both and streamlines the process of dealing with regulation and managing risk. Elsewhere in the world of payments, in the launch to the fastest payments that the world has ever seen, the countdown is on. 10, 9, we have ignition sequence start. The engines are armed. Four, three, two. And we picked that countdown from the Apollo 8 mission in 1968 for a reason. It's going to be less than 10 seconds, a 10-second countdown. And you'll be able to send 15,000 euros from one account to another in November 2017. That's when the European Payments Council's SEPA Instant Credit Transfer, known as SET-INST, is scheduled to take effect. Now think about that, 15,000 euros in less than 10 seconds, that's more than 1,500 euros a second, and electronically making the transfer of cash from one account to another 
faster than if a teller were to count out the bills and physically hand them to you. Once the SCT inst is in full effect, it will span 34 European countries. The EPC rightfully is calling it a world first, or if you prefer, one giant leap Three, for payment two, kind. One, zero. We have liftoff. Liftoff. We have cleared the tower. And we have cleared the tower for another week. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. Be sure to tune in every Monday when a new podcast goes up. And also be sure to check out our ever-growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. I'm Lou Carlozo, the managing editor at BAI. We'll see you next time. So long.